Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghosts of Harrenhal. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 157 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 13 of A Storm of Swords, that's Aria 2. And as always, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes, they'll provide some additional information which will be very, very handy if you're not reading along. How are you, McKelly Ray? I am doing fine this morning. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. I'm getting excited, got my big trip starting tomorrow. That you do. You sure do. That uh, When I have a a large trip i tend to get nervous about all the moving parts have you you probably you're not you're not necessarily as um the nervous type like i am though uh i don't know i i do get i do get nervous i mean i've done a lot of traveling in my life so that sort of that familiarity is there right right and i've done a lot of traveling on my own for business and there i'm completely fine because it's me right i just don't worry about just roll with the punches yes Exactly, but this is taking the family in, so it's it's a different level of stress. I I, I want everything to go fine, and right. it doesn't seem like travel is going very smoothly in the world at the moment. So yes, right. We are we are we are nervous about things, but we're going to have a great time. So I'm focusing on that. That's right. Do you have? And we're going to see my family for the first time in th- four years. Yeah, that's awesome. That is that's great. Do you have how many layovers? It's surely not direct. No, we fly to Boston and then directly from Boston to okay. Athens. Okay, well, so just just one connection that has to go yep. Uh, yep. as planned. Yep. yep, and that'll be that'll be fun. I mean, we won't miss any connections. It's going to be good. That's right. Also, I'm I'm in a horrible dispute with with a bank. I, I've told you about this. Yes, I'm, you I'm have. withholding the na- I'm withholding the name of the bank for now, but I have told them about my podcast. <laughs> <and> listeners, <laughs> <Yes>. I have. <laughs> 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 the person said, looked around their cubicle and said, I have that many people in this office right here. I could shout to reach the same amount of people. <laughs> no, not. Boy, me. they've made me angry. I'm sure they angry. have. I, I can't even believe the situation that you're in. They, uh, I've, I've, I've investigated small claims court. I'm, I'm ready to, to have my day on the stand in front of the judge. Would that even classify as small claims, though? No, yeah. <laughs> well, the claim is for $2,000, but the small claims goes, to, goes up to 10000 Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, it fits. We shall see. Oh, the, the, the latest they've told me is that they are discussing it at the highest levels of the bank, my case. And when they finish discussing it, they will announce their decision to me, or they will not. <laughs> well, I'm like, is there a third option? <laughs> I was like, how does that help me? So, can you give me kind of timeline on this? You know? We'll either let you know what we decided, or we won't. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking if they decide in my favor, they'll definitely let let me know. Right. But maybe not. How are you supposed to know one way or the other? <laughs> right. Oh, that's. I don't even know. If funny is the right word. I, I feel like it's not. Um, I have I have a couple of jokes for you. Okay, yes, I see. It says jokes on here. <laughs> yeah, I got jokes. So I heard a couple of jokes uh, this last couple of weeks that have cracked me up, and I really enjoyed them. So one is, um, I spent the whole morning working on a time machine. So that's four hours I'm definitely getting back. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one, the other one I like even more, which is, um, um, my attempts to combine nitrous oxide with bouillon have made me a laughing stock. <laughs> good stuff. I'm so thrilled with those <laughs> jokes. Always good, good to begin a show with some dad jokes. 
<laughs> as we are both dads. <laughs> oh, well. I love that we are <laughs> laughing stock. Oh goodness, I have a shirt that what have you says. What you got going on? Uh, I have a shirt that says "Dad jokes more like rad jokes," <laughs> which is it itself a dad joke. So you know, yes, I would say so. Yes. Uh, well, the big news around here this week is that uh, Stacy and I had our. 23rd wedding anniversary on oh, one of the days earlier this week. I can't recall which one off the top of my head. I think it was Wednesday or so. Um, thank you. Yes, we've now caught you guys, right? You guys are at 23 as well? We're at 23, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to go out to dinner tonight, and uh, that's about it. It's about little all we Caesars. got going on. Yes, Little Caesars. Yes, we'll each, <laughs> we'll each get a pizza. <laughs> we'll do the pizza pizza thing. <laughs> So. You got a coupon, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course. Buy one, get one. <laughs> Wait. I think that's the, the regular deal. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Well, congrats. Well, and, thank and, you. And, and we send from everyone who listens, we send uh, sympathies to uh, Stacy because that's, <laughs> that's a long time. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> yes. And she's really taken one for the team, though. <laughs> Yeah, I will. Uh, I will be certain to uh, to let her know that you all send your sympathies. Anyway, let's get down to business. How do we leave Arya Stark? So last we saw of Arya, she and the boys were riding away from Harrenhal, looking for the trident to follow west to Riverrun. Arya was convinced that the bloody mummers were hunting them, and so she kept them moving as long as she could until she literally fell asleep in the saddle. That night, she dreamt she was part of a wolf pack attacking members of the bloody mummers. Why don't we give them the summary of this one? All right. Arya and Hot Pie loot the garden of a burned-out cottage for a few carrots and some cabbage. Gendry sleeps behind a wall of the cottage. The sound of singing stops them in their tracks. Her mind first goes to the bloody mummers, but she discounts the idea as singing seems rather out of character for that group. Regardless, she tells Hot Pie to go wake Gendry and hide behind the wall of the cottage with the horses. Arya hides behind a tree near the river road, praying that everyone stays hidden and quiet. She watches and waits. When one of the trio's horses wickers, the singing stops. She hears two, maybe three voices. They're discussing whether it could be wolves, lions, or an honest person hiding. When the archer of the group prepares to send arrows over the wall, Arya jumps from her hiding place and threatens them. She finds three men, a singer, a soldier, and an archer. She tells them... Did, did, did they walk into a bar? I know, right? That does sound like <laughs> the beginning of a joke. <laughs> she tells them to keep moving, and she won't harm them. The men find that rather amusing, and offer to take her to an inn for food and shelter. It's dangerous for a little girl alone in this war zone. Gendry and Hot Pie ride from behind the wall, announcing that she's not alone. The men take an immediate interest in their horses. They ask the kids' names... Hot Pie gives up his up right away. Arya calls herself Squab, and Gendry calls himself the Bull. The men reveal theirs. The singer is named Tom of Seven Streams, or Thomas Evans. The soldier is named Lem, short for Lemon Cloak, named for the yellow cloak that he wears. And the archer is a familiar name to us. His name is Angai. That does sound familiar. Tom correctly guesses that they came from Harrenhal, mostly due to Arya still wearing her flayed man sigil vest or whatever she's wearing that has it on there. Hot Pie blurts out all of their business. They were at Harrenhal when Roose Bolton took over, and now they're looking for River Run. Arya wants to shove rocks in his mouth to shut him up. The men announce that they're King's men. When pressed on which king, Robert is their answer. Arya thinks they're more likely outlaws. To prove they mean the kids no harm, Angai fires an arrow within an inch of Arya's ear. I'm not sure that proves I know, right? no harm. <laughs> Odd way to do it, I guess. <laughs> Realising that they have no choice, the kids agree to go with them to an inn two miles down the road. It's run by a husband and wife and an orphan boy that they've taken in. Does that sound familiar? That sounds now, familiar as well. It's the kind of thing you would put in the notes to trip me up, but it does sound familiar to me too. Because so. <laughs> it's only last chapter. <laughs> Hot Pie and Tom break into a duet of the bear and the maiden fair to while away the miles. Arya thinks the inn looks homey. It has a sign with some old king on his knees. 
she notices an empty stable oddly full of horse crap. But what catches her eye the most is a skiff tied up at the dock along the Red Fork. She has visions of them sailing it upriver to River Run. Gendry's a bit more skeptical. He volunteers to stay with the horses in the stable while the other two eat. Inside the inn, they meet Sharna. She berates all of them for one thing or another and shouts for her husband. The woman offers the party rabbit, ale and bread. The men begin discussing the kids' horses. The new horses are better than the three that the husband sold, but the three men who found Arya and co. were supposed to retrieve those horses. The innkeeper said he sent the trio who bought them their way. Angai and Lem claim the trio never showed up. Hmm, wonder why that is. When the bread arrives, Hapai isn't impressed and launches into a lengthy dissertation on proper bread-making techniques. Tom plops down at the table with Arya and Hapai. He presents them an IOU for their horses. Now Arya is not impressed. She counters with a trade offer of the horses for the skiff, despite it being clear she has absolutely no leverage. Everyone laughs at her boldness. Gendry bursts in to announce soldiers approaching. Arya reaches for her sword, but Lem grabs her hand and prevents her from holding it. She smashes the tankard of ale in her other hand into his nose, breaking it. The tankard and the nose. Yes. <laughs> right then, a ragged band of men come through the door. Upon inspection, Arya realises she knows one of them. It's Harwin. She grew up with him at Winterfell. She shouts to him, breaking into sobs. At first, he doesn't recognise her until she reminds him of how he'd led her pony around the yard. Arya Underfoot? Lem asks who she is. Harwin drops to his knee and announces that she's the Hand's daughter, Arya Stark of Winterfell. I have, look, you probably can't see. Can you see that I have goosebumps? Can you see my arm? Goosebumps. I literally, every time I hear the end of this chapter, I get goosebumps. I, it's a reaction I have no control over. You're a sucker for the sucker for Arya being announced. I just, I, you know, I love reunions. I love when characters finally meet up with someone. And yeah. in this case, I just, you know, just imagine finally seeing someone that you grew up with, that you've known your whole life after all she's gone through since the sacking of the Tower of the Hand. But, but also after all she's been through and all she's kept this a secret to blurt it out now <laughs> it's i mean it's great to see a familiar face but he is not necessarily the man she knew you know that's a good point that's a good point he's probably been through a lot too as we'll right. discuss yeah yeah yes so aria's picked up another name because she didn't have enough already right right um, she she calls herself squab um, it was actually suggested when hot pie gives his name the three men laugh and think that the other two must have food names right. too. I think they call Gendry Mutton Chop or something yes, like that. Yes. <laughs> and they call Arya Squab. So she adopts it. She says she's Squab. But uh, Gendry changes his. He says, no, I'm the bull. And Gendry calls himself Bull for his now lost bull helmet. Right. Yes. Of course, Hot Pie has to be Hot Pie. I mean, what else could he be? Right. And, and what good is it to change that name? You know, <laughs> Call, start calling himself Cold Pie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, if he keeps on tramping through the woods with no food to eat, he'll end up sort of being thin as a rail, and then Hot Pie might seem like a weird name <laughs> at that point. Maybe he'll just really want a Hot Pie. <laughs> Glass of water. <laughs> yeah, so like you said, Arya's got, she's got a growing list. Every now and then, we when she gets a new one, we... Uh, collect them all in a list here so she has a aria horseface and aria underfoot which she acquired in winterfell she's got ari which is what yorin named her when he took her as part of the night's watch recruits she's got lumpy head lumpy face which is what lami greenhands called her she called herself weasel when she first got to harrenhal and then changed it to nan at harrenhal when Ruth bolton asked her her name and now she's taken on the moniker Squab, which I looked up. It's a young pigeon. Oh, thanks for that. I thought it was some kind of fish. Yeah, it's either the meat of young pigeon or just a young pigeon. In this case, I'm guessing it's the meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
One theme that's continued from the previous chapter, and as I, as I said, lucky for me, it was the previous chapter because all of this did seem very well. There's we a ended up... there's a Tyrion chapter in between, but oh, oh. So I don't, that I don't remember. <laughs> the chapter the chapter in between is gone. But... Okay, so my, my memory lasts longer than I realized. Yes, that's oh, right. You know what it is? You know what it is? Actually, we've been cramming chapters. Right, we have. Yes. So, the distance between this chapter and the and the Jamie chapter is the regular distance, but we put one in between. Right. Um, but the lack of distinction made between the wolf and the lion, which is which is very interesting, because by the end of this chapter, we know who this party is, or at least yes. we have a, an idea from whence they came, right. because of the presence of both Harwin and Angai. Right. Those two people were in King's Landing. In fact, one of them we weren't sure where he went, but one of them we were absolutely sure where he went. He was sent with Beric Dondarrion to de-summit the mountain. Right. So he this was... is that group or the remnants of that group. Yes, he was one of the um, many Stark household guard that Ned kept giving away. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. For Harwin, probably a good move because everybody else is dead. But then again, for Ned, a bad move because he's dead. Yes, yes. Yeah, it, you're right. It actually did turn out to be a good move for Harwin. I hadn't thought about it yeah. that way. Harwin's well, father the... stayed behind and he ended up dead, so... right. The flip side of that, of course, is that they might have held on had they stayed. True. If they had another 40 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but yes, so 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 the reason that I, I bring that up, I know that's right at the end of the chapter, but the reason I bring it up now when we're talking about it is because they keep on sort of blurring the lines between the wolves and the lions. Yes. But you'd think that this party, having been sent by Ned Stark to bring the mountain to justice... That is being sent by a wolf to arrest a lion. You'd think that they might have a bias in favor of the wolves. You, I absolutely. It is, yeah. and it's not just like once or so. Multiple instances throughout mm-hmm. both this chapter and the Jamie chapter, they say wolf first. Now, it could be the fact that there are literal wolves in the because um um. Angai, or one of them, says um, there could be a wolf, maybe a lion, behind that wall. And I think it's Lem. I don't know. She can't tell them apart at this point because she hasn't seen them. So we don't know really right. whose voice is which. Says two feet or four feet or two. And the response is, makes no matter, does it? So they, they are saying it could be a you know an actual wolf or it could be a figurative wolf, a Northman. Oh, yeah, but, but it makes but, no but, matter. Right. But uh, you're definitely right. They're definitely sort of like playing loose and free with what they mean by a wolf. But when they lump it in with the lions, I'm pretty sure they're they're confident it's not a four-legged lion (laughs) hiding behind that wall. (laughs) That one... That one does seem rather, <laughs> rather certain. Even Ang, even Angai, who's cool as a cucumber, might be like, "Well, it actually does make a difference." <laughs> yes, if there's a lion back there, I'm out of here. <laughs> okay, how good I am? That thing's gonna get me. Yeah, but you know, it's just it's it's interesting that they bring up wolves first in almost every instance. Uh, I have a theory. I have a theory, which okay. is basically that. These guys, these guys have obviously gone off script. Yeah, they were sent to bring. Uh, uh, I've forgotten his name. Gregor, Gregor Clegane. Gregor Clegane. Yeah. Yes, Gregor Clegane to justice. Um, they failed in that mission, but they were in the Riverlands while the fighting was going on, and they took it upon themselves to harass the Lannister forces. Right. Right. That's what they were. That's what they, we kept hearing about them harassing the Lannister forces. Things have switched in the Riverlands now. And basically, the whole Riverlands are now controlled by the Stark forces. But the area of the Riverlands where this group has been mostly spotted is the area around Harrenhal. And that's now controlled by Roose Bolton. And we've got a pretty good sense that Roose Bolton has not really brought law and order in the style that Rob Stark would bring it to that region. Good point. He has, in fact, exacerbated and continued what the Lannisters were doing. Yes. Which is now basically reprisals against the people who helped the Lannisters, who had no choice in helping the Lannisters. Yes. And they're now being terrorized. So this group, I think, is like, well, this is no better than the previous group. Right. This regime is as bad as the last one. Right. The person who sent them is dead. The person who on whose behalf they were sent is dead. So they've become sort of like leaderless. 
But they see this, you know, unfairness going on and they have sort of set themselves up as a, a band that will fight these injustices. Yes. To an extent. Right. Because they are robbing people. They were clearly going to rob Jamie and Brienne. Yes. And they're they're so, basically robbing the kids as well. Yes, although they are giving them an IOU. And they may even give them the boat. I mean, they, they don't seem particularly interested in the boat themselves. But I honestly think the kids will find themselves 100 miles downstream. <laughs> they to go upstream if they get on board They're going to be right boat. down by Heron Hall again. <laughs> Sail down to Derry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the only thing stopping them reaching the sea is those two sunken boats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, if if the innkeep was uh, was yeah. legit about that, yeah, you know, you make some really solid points there because they claim to be kingsmen and they claim to be specific. You know, there's a lot of kings right now, so they specifically claim to be Robert's men. So you would think that they might default align with Rob because Robert's hand was Rob's father. So it would be a logical, you know, especially since Ned was the one that sent Beric Dondarrion on his mission originally. But at you pointed, you gave a lot of really good evidence as to why they might not be so enthused with the wolf, the, the two-legged wolves that they've been coming across. I think the the other thing, of course, for them is they probably are not that well informed about the goings on in King's Landing. So True. they know Robert's dead. They assume Joffrey's taken the throne. So now they owe loyalty to Joffrey, and Joffrey is clearly, you know, he's on the side of the Lannisters. So they probably feel like their original mission is no longer sanctified by the king in King's Landing. Right. But at the same time, they may not know the claims of illegitimacy of that king all good points so, we we certainly so, know that they don't know a lot about what's going on in king's landing because the innkeep told jamie and brienne that stannis was at the walls with eighty thousand men or, or something right like that. right which which is not terrible information i mean that's that was that was closely close to being true for a short time true yes yeah no you make some really good points as to why this this phenomenon might be happening and yeah like you said they they are presenting an IOU, which is not nothing, but, well, we'll get into that later when we get to that yeah. part. So so Arya is Mrs. Needle, because when she pulls the sword, she's pulling a broadsword out from across her back, because she can't wear it on her hip, because it drags on the floor. Right. So she's basically got a sword that's way too big for her. She, I don't think she could have beaten three sort of aged farmers here. <laughs> three actual seasoned soldiers. No. <laughs> Yeah, does she lost? So if you're thinking, whatever happened to Needle anyway? She lost Needle to a man named Polliver when they when she and Hot Pie were captured by the Mountains men trying to rescue Gendry, and Polliver taking Needle earned him a spot on her nightly prayer list. I'll put in quotes uh, yeah, there yeah. all the people she wants to see dead. Yeah. So that's what happened to Needle. She hasn't. Is that all Polliver did? Because that seems a little bit light compared to the crimes of some of the people on that list. Well, he probably did some other things during that march that didn't yeah, exactly true. make her happy. Sure enough. Yeah. We've mentioned that we know Angai. Um, Angai won the archery competition at the Hands Tournament for Ned's Investiture's Hand of the King. Um, he clearly is pretty good if he can fire one through Arya's hair without hurting her. She basically <laughs> did here. <laughs> yeah, he um he beat uh Jalabarzo and Balon Swan at a hundred paces. And yeah. uh, another detail of, of that victory is he won ten thousand gold dragons. So I wow. uh, don't know where those went. <laughs> I will He's he's turned to banditry now. He must have spent them. I guess so. Yeah, um, I actually do know what happened to those. We we will find out. I'll say that oh, we will find out what happened to his his earnings. Um, okay. But he also refused offer from uh, Ned to join Ned's service. That's right. He did. 
Um, I'll, I'll mention the TV show. Arya is spying on them through a wall, through a, a hole in the wall, and Angai fires an arrow through the hole. Oh. She sees him draw, and she pulls back, and the arrow <laughs> comes flying through the hole. So he, he's a good shot in the TV show. Too. Yeah, I guess so. And we meet another singer. And um, I'll say we've met two singers thus far. We met Marillion uh, at the uh, in at the crossroads with Cat and Tyrion, and we've met uh, Simon Silvertongue. Both have caused Tyrion much grief in this his life because it was Marillion that that pointed out Tyrion's arrival at the end of the crossroads, which alerted Cat to his presence. Uh, and we all just just a couple chapters ago we spent much time discussing the. Um, the issues that Simon Silvertongue... No, that was just last chapter. Now I'm getting them mixed up. That was just last chapter. We discussed, discussed Simon Silvertongue's, uh, as you put it, blood in the milk of uh, Tyrion's <laughs> life. So the question is, will Thomas Sevens be similarly, similarly problematic for Arya? Or Tyrion, somehow. I mean, somehow, <laughs> right. Seems, yeah, yeah he, he, he comes across as quite a good character. I mean, he... in When they're... When they're threatening to un- to loose arrows at the whoever's hiding behind the wall, um, it is Tom who seems to suggest that it could be good people. But but I also think that it was kind of like they were working to a script. It was like sure, yeah. fire arrows, you know, and so the whole thing was a little bit staged. That's um, true. Yeah. And so Tom announces that he's from Seven Streams. That's why he's. Tom of Seven Streams, and uh, actually Chet of the Night's Watch mentioned in the prologue that he was caught near Seven Streams after killing Bessa, which is how he earned his place at the Night's Watch. And now Chet was from a town called, it was probably smaller than a town, an area called Hagsmire, and the two towns seemed to be near each other, and on the map, it looks like Hagmire's, Hagsmire appears to be near the headwaters of the Blue Fork, which is the middle of the three uh, okay. forks of the Trident. So he's a Riverlands man, Tom yeah, yeah. Seven Streams. So at first it's kind of hard to... De- well, I say at first, but I mean, honestly, all the way through this chapter, it's hard to determine the authenticity of the men's kindness and the offer of care to these kids. True, They are Very offering true. to share food. Um, that kind of seems too good to be true, especially because... There's clear indications in this chapter that they are bandits. They were right. going to steal from uh, Jamie and Rob, um, but they, you know, they're. <laughs> What's there to gain from these three kids who are scrabbling for food in a dead man's allotment? You know, I mean, clearly these ki- these kids, apart from the horses, they don't have anything to offer. True. Very true. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think at, at the end of the day, that is what they're doing. They're stealing their horses slowly and gently. <laughs> yes, they are. That's a good way to put it. Slowly and gently <laughs> robbing them. Yeah. The, you know, the whole chapter kind of puts the reader on edge because oh, yeah. you you can't tell. You know, it's like, um, like you said, it's kind of, the offer is kind of too good to be true. Come with us to this inn just down the road where we're going to, give you food and a, a place to sleep and a roof over your head. And it kind of reminds you of like, you know, the, the stranger danger thing that yeah. all parents teach their kids, you know, like it's almost like they're offering candy or to pet a puppy if they get in the car, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, Oh, as a reader, first time reader, especially you're like, I don't know what to do here. Either they can be really possibly, in a much better situation, but why would these men be helping them here? Yeah. But you know what? When you're hungry, I mean, they said their food ran out six days ago. Yeah. Uh, you'll get in the car with the kid who's got, with the guy who's offering candy. At least there's candy. <laughs> True. Well, yeah, that's why they came out of the woods. Or when she heard the singing, yeah. she thought, I knew we shouldn't have come out of the woods, but we were so hungry. So, right. yeah, you know, I mean, but, but Aria was up to the task. She didn't trust Tom or any of the three right from the get-go. She thought to herself, she she knew that all who spoke friendly weren't necessarily friends. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's good. But but I mean, you say she's up to the task. She's up to the task of, of sniffing out the danger, but she's not up to the task of avoiding it. Because well, yeah. She draws her sword and she's con- she's constantly planning how she's going to kill these three guys right up until the point where Angai fires an arrow at her quicker than she could even look and <laughs> says and, and, and sort of like celebrates the fact that he missed. And he's like, if you think I didn't do that on purpose, then you are crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But clearly, she's unlike Hot Pie. She's she's learned from her life lesson. You can just put a period after that. Clearly, <laughs> unlike Pop. Yes, clearly she's unlike Pop Pie. She's learned a lot of hard life lessons since fleeing the Tower of the Hand, and she is she has realized that you have to be very careful about strangers that you meet on the road. I mean, unlike Hot Pie, who basically just blurted out all their business. And uh, you know, gave his well his true moniker uh, right off the bat. They, I think, the kids are very lucky here because yes, I think ninety nine percent of the broken men, uh, uh, soldiers who've deserted, you know, whatever you find wandering the countryside, would murder them for the carrots. Oh yeah, probably yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I will say the, the whole impression I get of this gang is very much sort of Robin Hood. That's what I sort of sort of smell when I sure. when I think yes. of this gang. And, Absolutely, and, and it does actually sort of fit that they they were willing to kill Cleos, Brienne, and Jamie for those three horses and the gold dragons because they were armed people, soldiers in this war in some way. Right. These three kids, they treat them okay. Yeah, they're going to take their horses, but they're going to give them a, a good meal in the meantime. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of like a Robin Hood thing. They're going to steal from the, those who have and try to look after those who don't as yep. much as they can without, you know, letting them ride off with good-looking horses. Definitely a lot of parallels you could make between yeah. the two. So they they agree to go with the men because really when Engai fires that arrow, Arya realizes we don't have a choice. He could put three arrows through us, through each of us in a matter of three seconds, probably. So, and he's only got eight arrows. <laughs> runs and grabs one and fires it again. Yes, he probably could. Uh, so they go, and actually, they have a, a fairly nice time riding together. They start out very cautiously riding behind the men. Like Arya says, you walk up in front of us so we can keep an eye on you. And Tom is like, whatever, if it makes you happy, we'll do that. But they end up, uh, Tom and Hot Pie end up singing a duet together, and Angai takes down a duck, and Lem retrieves it. And, uh, you know, then they, they arrive at the inn, and Arya thinks it's nice and homey, and she doesn't think it's an outlaw. It doesn't look like an outlaw's lair, anyway, which, mm-hmm. of course, you know, we know that's an Arya, uh, uh, outlaw's lair could look like anything, but... Uh, there's a little bit of irony when Arya sees the sign, which we know is the kneeling man, and she thinks it's some old king kneeling, totally unaware that the king is one of the most famous or possibly infamous, depending on your feelings of, about him kneeling, of her descendants. Her, her ancestors. <clears throat> yes, her ancestors, yes. Her, oh, I said descendants. Yeah, it would be her. Yes, yeah, other way around. Yes, her family, ancestors. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah. Um, it is, one thing I noticed is that there are fires burning in the inn. There's, there's smoke coming out of the chimney and there wasn't uh, when Jamie and Brienne That's arrived. That's right, there wasn't. And I wonder if... I wonder if maybe it's the presence of Sharna, the wife, that she keeps the inn ticking a little bit, whereas the husband is uh, more of a slob. 
<laughs> we, Unless, we still never learn his name, do we? we no, husband or innkeep. He's either husband or not the innkeep. That's what they right. kept calling him yes. in the pre-ed <laughs> chapter or the Jamie chapter. Yeah, he's less of a homemaker than than she is, I guess. Yeah. So so after the party meets Shana and she berates them for everything she wants to berate them for, the husband comes in and he says the strange horse is outside, which then leads to the conversation which reveals the fact that they were all in league together to rob Jamie and Brienne. Um, Lem says, they never came our way. And the husband says, well, I sent them, unaware of the fact that he was so suspicious that they did the opposite of what he told them to. Um, so he then <laughs> accuses Lem et al. of being drunk and asleep when they rode past. Right. Which is a bit yes. possibly you, true, but also unfair. And you know what? It, it dawned on me just last night when I was going, kind of perusing through the chapter in preparation for this morning, is that the reason the men were on foot is because they were supposed to re- reclaim those horses and ride them back. Because I I thought, why would, you know, I thought it odd that these three men were just walking around the uh, Riverlands. Actually, that's another thing then. Well, the, the stables was full of horse manure, right? Yes, yes. I think Jamie and Brienne were expecting to find mounted men waiting I agree. for them. Yes. And I think... I think those the horses that left that manure must have been the ones of Harwin and his group. Harwin at all, yeah. Yes. That does make sense. But but it seems like a real long shot because so you're relying on a bunch of things. One is you're going to sell the horses to strangers who come by. Right. You're hoping it'll be a trio so you can sell all three horses <laughs> because you've got three men waiting for them. Right. Yes. Right. And you're hoping that that trio has enough money to make it worth your while, because there is a chance that you might miss them, that they might not go the way you said, or that the ambushers get drunk and fall asleep. So it's a (laughs) high-risk gambit to end up in the same place you would have done if you hadn't sold them the horses. Yes, except for the three gold dragons that you got. Right, but, but the chances of them getting three gold dragons for those horses were almost nil. I mean, right. it yeah. just so happened they were finding someone who was on a mission for Catelyn Stark who could fund that mission to the tune of gold dragons. Almost Absolutely. nobody else in the Riverlands has that kind of money. No, no. And Jamie kept saying to Brienne that she was getting fleeced on this exactly. deal. So they they could not have expected to get three gold dragons per horse here. Right. There's there's something else that I don't quite... I'm not saying that it's pedantry. I'm saying I don't understand the logistics of it. Because the men were not there when Jamie and Brienne and Cleos arrived. The True. innkeep sends them, the trio, to the men. But they don't show up. Jamie, Brienne, Cleos don't show up. Then when they get back in this scene here, Lem tells the innkeep he could have that the innkeep could have taken him them himself because he says the innkeep had already told them that it was one man, one woman, and a man in chains. So how did he tell him that if they just arrived back? I take take that whole thing and move it to the pedantry section. That's rock <laughs> solid. You're absolutely right. I didn't notice it, but yes. Well it's we it's got like a bush telegraph or something. <laughs> they have they have a raven system set up between right. them. I was thinking about it. Maybe the three men were there when the boat docked, and they and they didn't they ride ran. it. Yeah, they, I first I thought they rode out to wait, but I was like, no, they didn't have horses, so they just ran down the road a bit. So, no. They they did. They rode out on the three horses, which they then let loose. So they've actually lost six horses. <laughs> well, we can't keep these. we got to ride the other ones back. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible plan this is. So I mean, maybe it's pedantry. Maybe there's some logistics that I'm overlooking. Yeah. But it, this goes back to my... Go back to my thought, what Lem says about... He tells the innkeep that the innkeep could have taken them himself. And what exactly does he mean by taken them? Do we think he just meant to rob them of their belongings and kick them on their way? Or do you think he was planning on killing the three of them? 
Yeah, I don't know. You know? It, yeah, because if it's the latter of those, then this group becomes a much more sinister group than just stealing from them. Right. Exactly. That is that's what I was getting at. But we do see why the husband slash innkeep that's not an innkeep spoke so highly of Beric Dondarrion in that Jamie and Brienne chapter because oh, that's right. clearly he's caught up with Dondarrion's force in some manner here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his wife Shana's a pistol, uh, but she does. Uh, she you know she takes in the kids and feeds them without any hesitation. Um, there's there's nothing there's nothing that smells false about her uh, behavior or. She's not poisoning them or anything. Um, yeah, absolutely. Right. She give, she gives them ale, but she sort of warns them about they might be too young. I think she says, you can have ale if you think you're old enough. Yeah, and you know, she mentions that she doesn't make a habit of giving ale to kids, but the river taste of war because of all the dead oh. bodies in it, which is yeah. a really gross thought. Not great. No. Not great. Really Although not. that that should start to thin out now because there isn't that much fighting upstream now anymore. Yeah. Yep, that's true. The Lannisters tried to cross at the fords and were repelled. I mean, unless they're still doing it for no reason. Yeah. I think they all went to King's Landing, right? So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make no sense to keep fighting now yeah. to try to get just, across. Just, just a comment on the bread here. I will say that hot pie is right about the needing the bread. And a person who was mentioned earlier in the podcast needs to listen carefully to that. Uh, one Stacy Ray. <laughs> because she and I have tried to make the same bread. Right. And hers came out rock hard. And do you know what she did? She over-needed, over-needed it. Overneeded it. That's gotta... exactly what uh, Hot Pie is right about. Yeah. Just try too hard. <laughs> the reason I like my bread recipe is because it doesn't involve anything. It's dead simple. <laughs> you just take it, put it in, and bake it. Exactly. Which does maybe uh you know this innkeep was too busy kneading bread to light fires around the inn. So <laughs> you're, you're give, doing you're, them a disservice. If you're making bread, you really want to light the fire. <laughs> it's a necessary part of making bread. Otherwise, it? it's going to go wrong very quickly. So you pose the question here, could they be sincere about the IOUs? Um, obviously, they're pretty useful, useless at the moment. I I think there's a sincerity to them, but but I think also there's a layer of insincerity. Because the thing is, if you genuinely believe that you're representatives of the king, you could write a genuine IOU and say, present that to the king and you'll get your money back for these horses. Okay? Right. But right. these guys know that they are out on a limb now and that they don't represent anyone uh-huh yeah and so who's the iou who owes they do but they can never pay it back the crown isn't going to pay it back because these guys no longer represent the crown yep so i think on those levels this they they know that this is just a scam yeah and it it all goes back to the basic con you know thought on paper currency in general if you believe that the paper is worth what's stated on it, then it holds that value. If you don't believe what the, the stated value, then it doesn't, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, like you said, it, it seems pretty useless at the moment unless the these men establish a significant enough presence in the area to start making good on right. any claims. Yeah. And this is not the first time that... Beric Dondarrion's men have used this practice because back on the march to Harrenhal with Arya, which was like so chapter six of A Clash of King or so, she overheard some small folk debating who's worse, the mountain or Beric Dondarrion. And the man said that at least Beric Dondarrion paid for what he took. And the woman said, he took two chickens and gave me paper with a mark on it. I can't eat right. that. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I suppose you're right. It also has parallels to Varys' discussion of what what is power. You yes, know, it's, the, it's it's the illusion of power. You know, it, right? The, the illusion is the reality. It's the same right. with paper money. Yeah, that's that's what I was getting at basically with the 
it's worth it if you think it's worth it thing. <laughs> yeah. So Arya, obviously, if Arya ever gets back to be, you know, a princess of Winterfell, then she doesn't really need the IOU for the horses. But she does need to get back to Winterfell. She gets to get to River Run first. And that skiff outside looks like her dream come true. So she counter offers, I'll take the, the boat for the three horses. And uh, it cracks everybody up that she <laughs> feels like she's got this kind of bargaining power. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, does does anyone here need the boat or want the boat? I mean, I guess, you know, food is going to be scarce. So maybe the ability to fish using the boat might yeah, be useful. But... It could be useful if you, I mean, uh, if we take the innkeep slash husband's word, they can't sell very far downstream because there's burned out boats that are blocking the river. Uh it's not a terrible idea to ask, you know, well, I mean, it is because she's, she has no leverage. It's a terrible idea, but the concept of acquiring the skiff is not a terrible idea if they were trying to, to go downstream, you know, (laughs) but I personally have no clue how hard it is to sail upstream on a river. I I feel like it would take some experience and know how. (laughs) I don't either. I'm going to say it will be impossible without an enormous amount of experience expertise and probably strength too right because i mean unless you've got a strong tailwind you're fighting against the current if you i mean yeah. if they give i i would give them the skiff and then i would go three miles downstream and wait for them <laughs> wait for just like they back. tried to do with the horses <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and if, if they sail upstream good god love them keep the boat <laughs> Yeah, that is that is probably how it would go. Yeah, now we it has been mentioned that the Red Fork is a slow moving current, especially compared to the Tumblestone. But still, any current you right. can't continue. You'd have to continually, nonstop paddle, or you're just going to lose any progress. Right. If if you had a sailboat on a lake, you would struggle to get it across to the other side. You'd end up doing a lot of paddling, and you'd be exhausted when you got there, right? That's a lake. Right. <laughs> this is a river. I don't care how slow it's moving. It's moving against you. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be miserable. Yeah. Maybe there's a way. I, I really don't know. I couldn't tell you how hard it would be to sail upstream. but <laughs> it's, it's possible. I mean, that's the point of sailing on a river, but I couldn't do it. Not to save my life. Now, she does say you got to show us how to use it. She adds that in there as well. Right. Not not that they would know. I don't know. Exactly. Maybe All these experienced do. sailors. Yeah. Well, well, actually, one thing, just, just while we're talking about the, the people, just going back to Angai, how did you envision Angai? Physically? Yeah. Well. I, I, I had him as sort of like dark-haired, olive-skinned, Sort of like maybe maybe Spanish looking. Is how because I, he's from he, the Dornish marches. Right. But he's got red hair. True. It blew yeah. my mind. I was like, <laughs> surely not. That sounds like what a Stark might have. Well, I guess, or actually a Tully. Yes, the Tullys. Definitely the Tullys. Yeah, I'd, I'd missed that detail that he had red hair. Red so hair I hadn't was, thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so when Lem grabs... Uh, Arya, you know, sort of like her traumas come back, and her traumas come back all the time because because her trauma is about being helpless. You know, she right. she hates that feeling of helplessness, but it happens to her all the time. Like when Angai shows how quickly he could kill her with the bow and arrows, again she's helpless. You know, yes. she's like, yes, I just can't catch a break here. She keeps on thinking about her training, and then her training just gets trumped by the things that other people can do, which are just yeah, which is stronger, a... they're bigger, they're faster. Right. And that's, you know, that's the life of most 10-year-olds. Right. You right. Know. Except most 10-year-olds aren't constantly fighting for their life. And True. That is not. Foot. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is not the, uh, at least in her station in life, it is not usual for one of her age. Yeah. Well, I will say, of, of all the groups she's encountered, I mean, these guys feel like they are at least not evil. Oh, yes. Right, right, right. Yeah, they they're neither they never neither seem like Brienne type noble men, right. nor do they seem like completely evil and full of malice. So, yeah, she mentions the village. You know, feeling she's thinking, "Oh no, this is happening again." When Lem won't let her draw her sword when the soldiers are coming in, and um, 
she mentions feeling like uh, the village with the tickler in the mountain and being turned back into a mouse. And just as a reminder, it was during the march to Heron Hall, she felt she was no longer a dire wolf. Instead, she felt like she was a sheep. And they took away any defense she had. And then at Heron Hall, she felt like a mouse. Like she could skitter anywhere unnoticed. And nobody paid her any attention. And she could hear conversations. But she also had no power, no ability to defend herself. Yeah. Whereas, of course, since she's escaped Heron Hall, she started to start dream wolf dreams again. So right. she's kind of like reestablishing herself as that. And so this this moment where she is completely... Uh, paralyzed by Lem because he's a huge guy. Of course he could hold a 10-year-old still. Right. Apart from, he's going to pay attention to her, her other hand, of course. Yes. that's got a tankard of ale in it. He didn't see that, le- that left hand coming, I guess. <laughs> but so the be- the band shows up, the band of men, and it includes a, a wide range of people, including a Tairashi and um, I believe a Bravasi, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, yep. And one of the men is dons a lion-crested helm. And I wondered, could that be a Westerman joining the cause with uh, Harwin and Beric Dondarrion? Or possibly more likely, is it just a borrowed, in quotation marks, helm that uh, from a dead man that he came across? I definitely think it's possible because, I mean, I, I you know, we've heard enough rumors of Beric Dondarrion's crew to know that the rumours are circulating the Riverlands. And if you perhaps wanted to desert from your actual soldiering, this might be very tempting to join the band who are, you know, doing yeah. whatever they want. So right. I could certainly see it being a, a Lannister, but not a Lannister loyalist anymore, that's for sure. Right, yes. <laughs> um. So Harwin, just a reminder, he's the son of Hullen, who was Master of Horse at Winterfell. So he knew the Starks very well. Yeah, um, and and just a reminder of Holland. He was we mentioned this earlier. He was in King's Landing with Ned, and he died when the Lannisters sacked the Tower of the Hand. Arya came across him on her way to the stables. She thought he was dead, but he grabs her leg and tells her to warn her father. I think he calls her Arya Underfoot. Right. <laughs> it says to warn her father before he dies. So that was Harwin's Harwin's father. And Harwin, we met right at the start of the whole thing because he was part of the beheading party uh, that found the dial. Right. Yeah, she had yes. Some, he spoke some lines during that chapter. So yeah, yeah. And I, I'll just say the the scene with Harwin is maybe it's why I keep getting goosebumps when I get to the end of the chapter. It's just a rare, sweet moment in a story with so much hurt and death and betrayal. It almost. It's almost jarring to read a nice, sweet moment like that. It's like, wait, something's got to go wrong here. <laughs> my, my, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with your wrong point. But <laughs> <laughs> I will say my take on reading that was like, Arya, be quiet. <laughs> Only one of those people is Harwin. Everybody else is a guy you don't know or can't yes, trust. you're right. It, it, it's been, it, even with this sweet moment, there's a ten, there's a tension that uh, that yeah. comes with it. Yes, if you if you overlook just the pure reunion for her, some a moment of relief with someone that she knows and trusts. Yes, there is that underlying tension of oh no, now they know. You can certainly imagine that Harwin would be loyal to Arya and might actually want to help her get back to Riverrun. Um, he, and if this group is sufficiently nebulous, maybe he can do that as a side mission before rejoining them. You know, yeah. So that could happen. But this group is clearly interested in making profit, not necessarily to line their pockets, but maybe for the good of the people of the Riverlands. Right. Like Robin Hood. Um, like Robin Hood, exactly. Right. Um, and so perhaps they might prefer to see her ransomed to River Run. That the the good thing is though, I don't expect her to see her tortured and maimed. Right, right, right. Like right. I would if she fell into the Lannisters or perhaps Ruth Bolton's hands. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now, and you had mentioned that only one of these men is Harwin, and the rest we don't know about. <laughs> but even. Harwin, you know, 
having been in Beric Dondarrion's force since they left King's Landing, the, the stories are true. We've heard they've seen some pretty bad stuff, not the least of which was a, possibly the first battle they faced, the battle at Mummer's Ford, which we learned about when Caitlin showed up at uh, Moat Caitlin with, and Rob was telling her this story where they, Beric and his men were ambushed crossing the Red Fork and they were attacked from both sides of the river by the mountain's men. They faced heavy casualties. That was the first time we had heard that Beric Dondarrion had died. So, you know, he might not be the same person he was uh, yeah. when she knew him as the boy who led her pony around the yard. Yeah, but you've got to feel like on the personal level, he's going to care about her. Yeah, you know? sure. But You would hope so. You would certainly hope so. But he may not be no longer be a Stark Bannerman. So, yeah, well, sure. that's the thing, right? Like, if he's a loyal Northman, loyal to Rob, now the the uh, Lord or King, regardless of uh, the North, why hasn't he himself reported to River Run to right. rejoin Rob's forces? So, right. you know, maybe he feels he's given enough to the war effort. Like I said, he's been through a lot. But he does take a knee when he recognizes Arya, so... Right, that's his instinct, is certainly to sort of pay her homage, yeah. Okay, do you have any background for us, McKelly? I do, I do. Uh, there, there was not a whole lot to go off of for background here in this chapter, which we, we run into from time to time. But the mention of Old Pate, that was the, the man whose burned-out cottage they were uh, hiding in and, yep. and whose garden they were uh, taking the vegetables from anyway the um the mention of old pate reminded me of a story that took place here on the red fork and since this chapter takes place right along the banks of the river i thought i'd mention it the battle at the red fork was fought in 130 ac which was a busy year for fighting i counted 17 fights from riots to battles that took place in that year of course it makes sense because the dance of the dragons took place from 129 AC to 131 AC. And that is the story being told by House of the Dragon, the HBO show. I made, actually made reference to this battle once in an Aria chapter uh, when they were at the God's Eye. I'll explain why I did so in a minute. But anyway, this particular battle started when Lord Jason Lannister led his Westermen east to support Aegon II Targaryen in his fight for the Iron Throne against his half-sister Rhaenyra. Along their way, they found rivermen who supported Rhaenyra blocking a crossing of the Red Fork. Despite being outnumbered by the Westermen, the rivermen threw back three attempts from the Westermen to cross— Lord Jason was killed in the third attempt by a squire named Pate of Longleaf, which is where the Pate thing ties in. With Jason lost, Sir Adrian Tarbeck took up command of the Westermen. Tarbeck was clearly a crafty one, as he and a hundred knights took off their armor and swam across the river upstream of the fighting, and then surprised the rivermen from behind causing the rivermen's resistance to collapse and allowing the westermen to cross. For killing Jason Lannister, Lord Peter Piper knighted Pate of Longleaf, who went on to be known as Longleaf the Lion Slayer. Nice. Now, here's where I previously referenced this battle. I mentioned these men lost Jason Lannister on the way to the Battle by the Lakeshore, which took place on the western bank of the God's Eye. It was an absolute slaughter. It was the bloodiest battle of the Dance of the Dragons. And these Westermen were driven into the lake and annihilated, giving the battle the nickname the Fish Feed. All that I mentioned in that Aria chapter. So this is the this is the prelude to that battle. Right. So comparison with the television show, um, Aria, Gendry, and Hot Pie meet a larger group of this brotherhood which includes Thoris of Mir. Thoris of Mir is the one who does most of the talking to her. Okay. Um, the scene is similar in the sort of overall niceness of the guys with that overlay of mistrust and fear from the kids. Uh, Angwe, as I mentioned, shows off his archery skills. Uh, in the inn, Arya, Arya is revealed to be Arya Stark, not by a friend, but by a man who I won't mention his name because I think it's a future spoiler for the book. Uh, but the 
brothers that the group had taken captive. This person was taken captive and knew Arya and announced it to everyone. Okay. All right. So yeah, she she, she there was no nobody dropping to their knees. In front of her. <laughs> no Harwin. Poor Harwin got written no. out. <laughs> ben and Tricorn, um Right at the start of the chapter, when she hears the singing, she thinks it could be Bolton's men. It could be the mummers, and she's like, but. What and it literally says only why would the mummers be singing? But I mean, if you're known as the bloody mummers, wouldn't you sort of adopt some of the things that mummers do? And one of the things that mummers do is sing. To me, I, it seems like a perfectly reasonable assumption that this could be the bloody mummers. Yeah, I had that same thought. Of course, they call themselves the brave companions. Right. They don't is, use that name. I right. know, but but you, they know that people call them the bloody mummers. Right. I would just accept it. And, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> And and of course my bit about how did they find how did they communicate uh, to one another? If you wanna if you wanna consider that pen tree, back up, listen to it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I certainly do. Well played. News and notes. Um so we we're gonna take a week off after this episode. Yes. You'll be enjoying some much deserved uh rest and relaxation. Hopefully. And we've got a boatload of notes here since we've got two weeks uh to cover, I guess. <laughs> But um, so Miguel Sapochnik is leaving House of the Dragon, at least in his current capacity as co-showrunner and director. He'll still maintain his role as an executive producer, though. He's also entered into a deal with HBO to develop new projects. As for his work on House of the Dragon, he directed the premiere episode, which ended its first week with 25 million viewers. Wow. Uh Uh-huh as well as episodes six and seven of this first season here. He'll be replaced by Alan Taylor, who is no stranger to the Game of Thrones world. Taylor signs on as executive producer and will direct episodes in season two. And we're in good hands there as Taylor directed two of the most impactful episodes in season one of A Game of Thrones, those being the Ned beheading episode and the Danny Dragon's birth episode, among others. Yeah. Um, there was a Baratheon or Lannister wedding last week. Um, <laughs> Depending on your perspective. <laughs> so Jack Gleason, who's very famous for his role as Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones, married his girlfriend Royson O'Mahony. Royson O'Mahony. She's got a lovely name. I'm glad you got... Uh, you have much closer to an Irish accent than I do, so glad you oh, took pretty, this one. I'm pretty sure the citizens of a certain country would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> closer than me, anyway. <laughs> Uh, in a small sever- sever- in a small ceremony in County Kerry in Ireland, uh, the news was leaked through a tweet by their priest. What a what a very modern way to have your I... nuptials announced. I know, right? <laughs> and uh, I just saw this this morning. I actually added this uh, minutes before we started recording. If you don't have HBO but are interested in checking out what House of the Dragon is all about, well, not all about, but you could at least get a little taste. The complete first episode is streaming on YouTube for free. Uh, Just go to YouTube and watch it. So driving up the 25 million viewer number, I guess. And you unearthed a new review, uh, Frankus Tankus on Apple Podcasts. Great Love name. the podcast. <laughs> yes, it is a good name. Uh, love the podcast. I recently found your podcast on Spotify. I was instantly hooked. I read the books years ago and was considering a reread in anticipation of Winds of Winter. Your pod is the best refresh I could ask for. You guys provide the in-depth analysis I wish I had access to in my first read. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Frankus Tankus. Thank you very much. And you know, that, that warms my heart, especially because what he said, basically his description is the pitch I made to you when I first proposed <laughs> this idea is exactly... I I thought people would be preparing to want to re- read Winds of Winter when it was released, and I wanted to provide people like a chapter-by-chapter chapter companion of the story. Did you think we would reach episode 157 without a release date for Winds of Winter yet? I did not. I thought we wouldn't have released <laughs> reached 57 before it was announced. <laughs> all right, let's conclude. So there's much moral ambiguity going on all around. It's unclear if killing people for gain is part of the plan of this group or just robbing them like they do with the kids' horses. Yeah, and Tom kind of tries to compare what he's doing with their horses to what Arya and company were doing with the vegetables from 
old Pate's abandoned house. I disagree. I'm totally fine with with them taking the vegetables from the abandoned house. It feels like a victimist crime. Those they were going to rot otherwise. Yeah. Uh, there's very little law and order in the region, so they're just surviving. And I guess both sides of this are doing what they need to do to survive. Yeah, and I just mentioned, we mentioned earlier that Sharna seems to be on the up and up here. And one line that she has toward the end of the chapter kind of drives it home. She says, when when they start to freak out, like Hot Pie spills his ale and Arya reaches for her sword when Gendry comes in and says, there's soldiers coming. And she says, just relax. No, nothing to spill ale over. Whatever harm has been done to you, it's over now. We'll keep you as safe as we can. Yeah, I, th- I think it's one of these typical sort of you start off as a crook and then you move into legitimate business, you know. Sure. Yeah, she's she's actually setting up this inn. It'll become a real tourist attraction in years to come. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that could be. And also, so, I think it, maybe she's just she feels a an instinct to protect these kids. You know, I mean, as an adult, yeah. you might feel that way. Yeah. Is the boat a route back to River Run for Arya? I'm guessing no. Even if the group <laughs> would let her have it, um, with could, you on would that. they aid her? Could they aid her? Um, but it is very hard to imagine Harwin ransoming her to the Lannisters. He might ransom her to the Starks. Right, sure. I guess that's that's possible, yeah. sure. You would you hope... have her back, but I'm keeping the three horses. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a large group, and he's not necessarily in charge, so he might not have... He might have every intention of taking care of Arya and bringing her safely back to to River Run. He might even know that Cat is in River Run. You know, she doesn't know right. that. She just thinks yeah, her brother's yeah. in River Run. Right. Uh, but he might not have the final say. But hopefully, he could at least protect her while she is with this group. Yeah, absolutely. We did hope that Arya's little group might bump into Jamie and Brienne, but that seems like they missed each other. So that's unfortunate because that could have been a, a, a sliding doors moment. Yes, uh, definitely show. could have. Maybe they'll double back. Maybe uh, <laughs> Jamie and Brienne will, will will feel the need to go back to the inn. <laughs> but yes, it does seem very unlikely that that's going to happen now. <laughs> so there's three ways you can help us. You could leave us a review. We'd always appreciate those. You can buy some merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com or you can buy us a cup of arbor gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall or even become a sustainer there. Join the others who've already done so, to whom we are very grateful. Absolutely. And as you know, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And if you really want to reach us, the best way to do it is join the Discord community and chat with us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.